Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. This is Pete, Victor Echo 2, X-Ray Papalima in Montreal, host of the Wave Gods podcast, and you're listening to Linux in the Hab Shack. Go Tux! You're traveling through another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are only that of over-caffeinated imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the GNU World Order Oddcast. Learn more at oddcastplanet.org slash GNU World Order. To the KOSS Evening Dance Hour. We now continue with a selection from the Arthur Pryor Band. Please enjoy the selection and check out KOSS in the future for all of your evening dance tunes. Please stand by for an important announcement. Dateline, St. Louis, Missouri. We've just received word that a new conference dedicated to Linux, free software, and open technology has been scheduled for the downtown area. We are told it will be called the Mid-America GNU Linux Networkers Conference. It will be a two-day conference on May 6th and May 7th of this year. There will be something for everyone as we understand it. Educational tracks for everyone from the free software tenderfoot to the experienced systems administrator. Social events, vendors hawking their wares, and even a live music shindig. It says here that positions for speakers, sponsors, and vendors are still available. So if you want to be a part of the event, go to magnetcon.info. That's M-A-G-N-E-T-C-O-N dot info. Make sure to be there in downtown St. Louis on May 6th and 7th. We know it will be the cat's pajamas. And we now return to your regularly scheduled program. Everybody, hello and welcome to Linux and Hamshack. In fact, wait a minute, let me start again. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Going Linux. I'm Larry Bushy, and this is my co-host. Hi, Tom. this is Tom. <laughs> <laughs> More about that later. All right, guys, uh, uh, we are recording. We're having a great time. We got BB in the chat room and we're trying to get him, uh, get him to listening to us. Uh, 
Ted has finished out his nap, and Bill is being cranky again, and life is good. We got new people, new faces in the chat room. It's good to see y'all there. All right. Uh, let's start off with uh, a few things. Um, oh, wait a minute. I forgot. Uh, everybody say hello to Russ. I'm not hearing anything. You told them to say hello to me. Oh, well, okay. You say hello to them. Oh, okay. Hi, this is Russ, K5TUX, live. Yeah. From between the peaks in the pine forests of north central Arkansas. Back to Richard. And if Richard would shut up, Russ could actually tell y'all. So, (laughs) but that's the reason I'm here. I'm not smart and I'm not pretty, but I won't shut up. So I can fill air spy, air time like nobody's business. So let's start off with a few things. Uh, one of the things that struck me in particular over this last two weeks is, uh, that Mintcast, Mintcast is becoming another casualty of, uh, the lack of time. Y'all know that my, the, uh, show I do solo suffers from lack of time. And the guys over at Minkcast, they have, uh, the two hosts over there, they have both gotten in a position where they really don't have the time to, uh, get any shows out. So after the next episode, there will probably not be any more until they're able to find some more hosts for Mintcast. So if any of you guys out there within the sound of my voice are interested in participating in a podcast, uh, being part of something like that, get a hold of the guys over there and, um, they might be able to work something out. It's not like they're sh- wanting to shut the show down completely. And it'd be better if I could actually speak, but they're not wanting to shut the show down completely. They just don't have the time to do it. And if they can find some hosts to take over for them, they're going to keep it going. Have you heard about that, Russ? Uh, if they actually announced that on the show, I'm a couple of episodes back, so I had not heard about that, and I don't keep up with their website either. So I, I kind of know that they dropped off in their production schedule quite a bit, and I think the last episode they put out was, what, sometime in earlier, mid-December? Well, I, actually, the one that I listened to was the, the newest one, and I think it came through last week. That's the one they said that, uh, you know, Clement wasn't happy about it and everything else, but they are looking for hosts over there. So, uh, if any of y'all are interested, go ahead. I know there was something I needed to say about going Linux because that's why I started the show the way I did, but I can't remember what it was. So you got anything, Russ? I don't have anything really specific about Linux in the ham shack, but I would like to bring up Magnacon the Mid-America GNU Linux Networkers Conference that I'm trying to get started up in St. Louis, May 6th and 7th of this year. And what we really need from all of our listeners is for you to get the word out about this thing in any way possible. So if you're on a social media site or if you're on Facebook, Twitter, Identica, you know, the places. If you know anybody who has connections at a magazine, at a newspaper, at a mailing list, or any of those things. Just tell them about MagnetCon and tell them where to get the information about it, which is magnetcon.info. You know, we need speakers, we need sponsors, we need vendors, we need attendees, we need the whole works. 
And the only way we're going to get to where we need to be is to get the information out. So if you're listening to this and you have connections with any of those social media sites or know anybody who works for uh, a company that's into open source or promotes open source or that is likely to sponsor open source, please get them the information. Go to magnetcon.info, and uh, you can download our prospectuses. You can download our applications. You can see all the information about the site. We really need everybody to do that. We need it to be like that old shampoo commercial where two friends tell two friends and their friends and their friends and on it goes into infinity. So that's my little spiel about MagnaCon for this for this uh, episode anyway. So, And I think uh, I, I did an audio promo for it. More than likely that you've already heard that because it was stuck at the beginning of this episode. MagnaCon, remember it, tell your friends. Back to you. Yeah, I'm still here. I was just tweeting. Tweet, tweet. Yeah, y'all check out MagnaCon. Go on over to the website, check it out, take a look. Uh, Russ is trying to get this thing off the ground, and I'm quite proud of him. But the one thing that he needs to remember is that one of the benefits of having your own podcast is that you can publicize any doggone thing you darn well toot and want to. So go on over to the website, MagnaCon.info. Or just click on the on the link on Twitter, uh, Identica, Facebook, anywhere you're following me, because I just put it on there. So if you're really smart, you can figure out when we're recording this by when the tweet came through. So visit MagnaCon. All I have running around in my head right now is badgers, Bigfoots, and Chupacabras. Chupacabras. But y'all, uh, oh, well, let's say this. We're currently remodeling the resonant frequency website we're going to move it back to wordpress where it seems to work better something that's easier to maintain than drupal and uh something that uh, it won't take as much time for me to keep maintained so uh you know i'm desperately looking for ways to get more episodes out even though who knows whether it'll work or not anyway so we got that all right this particular episode is going to be a feedback episode so we'll be like any email that says, hi, Richard and Russ, we will go, hi, whoever. No, we ain't going to do that. That's Larry and Tom's thing. Larry, Tom, if you guys are listening, we love you guys. It's one of our favorite podcasts. It's almost as good as ours, except for, Russ is going to say, except for the Computer, Computer America stuff. I won't even be disparaging of Computer America uh, I do like the fact that Larry gets on there and for at least one evening a month is able to promote Linux and open source to a broad radio audience. Just because I can't stand listening to the show, you know, I shouldn't take away from that at least. On one of the longest-running computer technology shows on the air, Computer America has been going a long time Right, and there's something to be said for any publicity we can get. So, I, I mean, like I said, just because I don't particularly like listening to the show doesn't mean that there aren't a whole bunch of people who do, and the ability to get Linux and free software out there through that medium is definitely a benefit for all of us. 
That's right. And on the, on the other episodes, Larry and Tom are the Linux equivalent of Jerry Taylor over at Practical Amateur Radio Podcast. So, uh, y'all go on over and check it out. We, unlike some, we don't mind promoting other shows because if we promote the other shows and they promote us, then the listeners will tell us who's got the, the better deal going on. All right. So, uh, all feedback show, you're going to have to keep time on this one, youngin. Because I done quit paying attention to the clock some time ago. That's okay. I mean, I can always work in some some breaks later on. I think we should just go through the feedback and be done with it, and I'll make it sound good afterwards. As far as I know, he's still burnt out. I'm, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Who's still right, burnt Governor. out? Did you? Uh, you dropped out there, I think. Who? You. Uh, what I said was I think he's still burned out. I intend on shooting him an email to, to find out. Oh, I see. You were answering something in the uh, in the chat room, but you didn't bother to say that. What the hell was that? That was water drops. I was trying to find a sound effect for dropping because we were name dropping. Oh. Here, let me try another one. Yep, that's 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 us dropping names. Now, do you want me to read email? You want me to talk for fab, talk about fab for a while? Oh, why don't you talk about Fab for a while? That should be entertaining. No. Fab does enough damage to himself. <clears throat> Have you seen his new uh, profile picture on Identica? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's like him with long hair and a guitar and crap. Anyway, um, on with the show. Our first feedback comes from the website. Uh, there was a post, and y'all, we're going to be going back almost a month on these. So uh, if we haven't gotten back to you or you're just now hearing it, no, we haven't forgotten about you. It's just uh, the last episode was so thrilling that we couldn't pull ourselves away. We had him online, and we wouldn't let him go. And if you don't know who we're talking about, you need to go download the last episode and listen to it, damn it. All right. And uh, it comes from KR4EY, KR4EY, who I assume is in Tampa Bay because that's what his thing says. Anyway, it says, No Morse Code is not dead. Listen on the CW band sometimes. I work 99% CW and still make many contacts almost every night. By the way, 30 meters is my favorite band. Now, short and sweet and to the point. And I'm sure in episode 48, we were talking about dead CW. Uh, my point is, is that no, it's not dead. And in fact, it's making a comeback because all the guys who wanted it dropped so they could get their license now want to learn it. So it really didn't make a lot of sense to me to to go through all the crap of dropping it, but that's okay. Uh, 30 meters, yep. The diehard CW operators love 30 meters. And there's some guys down there that run so fast, you can, there ain't no way you're going to keep up with what they're doing. And then you got other guys that are actually, the old railroad guys that are actually running American Morse code, which uh, makes it even harder. You can't, these guys that decode with the sound card interface, they ain't going to be able to watch that. But anyway, thank you for the feedback. And, uh, yes, I need to get my fist back in shape. Uh, so what do you think about that one, Russ? I think we did that one two episodes ago, so we should probably move on. And why the hell is it still in my queue? I don't know, but you said pretty much the same things about it this time that you did last time. Well, at least I'm consistent. That's true. 
The next one comes from KC8DAX. 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 And it reads, Windows versus Linux debate. There are hams that will buy a wire antenna, and there are hams that will build their own. I have always thought our ham forefathers that used to build uh, spark gap transmitters have surely the do-it-yourself nature of open source. Maybe that's Shirley, and don't call me Shirley. Or Surly. I have always thought that our ham forefathers that used to build spark gap transmitters would have surely the do-it-yourself nature of open source. I wonder if the Windows users would buy a radio that they could not take the covers off, or would they rejoice in a manufacturer that would not make available the schematics to a radio? And that's from John, KC8DAX. Well, thank you, John. And, yes, the Windows Linux debate is out there flying, and it does among amateur radio operators. And that's the way I feel about it. If I had a radio that I couldn't do something with, for the most part, in the past, if I had a radio that I couldn't do something with as far as get in, monkey with it, and all this other stuff, then I probably wouldn't have had it. Due to the nature of technology, the radios now, they're so small you can't work on the inside that you can't work with them. And some of them are a little on the proprietary side where you can't get the information to work on them and all this other stuff. But uh, I, I know the point you're getting at, and yes, Unfortunately, a lot of people have gotten spoiled nowadays, and they just want to plug the thing in and talk. Plug it in and talk. We were talking about another feedback about uh, CW, and that's another deal. You know, they just wanted to plug it in and talk. Now they want to run CW. Same thing with uh, the Windows Linux debate. The one thing you do have to remember, though, that when the debate is going on, and especially with the... uh, you non-ham friends, is the fact that uh, they will talk to you about how bad Linux is, some of them will, and you can be guaranteed that chances are that a Windows user that trashes Linux has never used Linux. Chances are good that a Linux user that trashes Windows has used Windows. So what do you think about that one, Russ? That's a sentiment that you've brought up before, but I happen to agree with it as far as the, uh, you know, those who u- use the operating systems that they use and what they might know about the other ones. Uh, people who come straight to Linux probably got there after using Windows and Mac OS and a bunch of other stuff. As far as proprietary hardware is concerned, I definitely have an issue with that. And, and while I have owned and used some hardware that you couldn't really play around with the innards of, it's definitely advantageous to be able to get in and to understand and have the schematics of a piece of hardware. I own a Kenwood TS-570, and Kenwood TS-570, like some other radios that have been produced, actually had a manufacturing bug in them. And what it would cause is a high rate of battery drain on your memory battery. So after a month or two, very short period of time, all of your presets would be lost. And this was because of a wiring defect in the radio itself on one of the motherboards. But because the information on that radio is out there, and because the TS-570 is modifiable, because you can add filters, 
and uh, other things to the inside of the radio and make modifications to it, including uh, allowing for different, you know, frequency operation. You're able to unlock frequencies in it and so on and so forth. Uh, Kenwood saved themselves a lot of money in recalls by just putting information on out there on how to fix this battery bug. And so every tinkerer who owned a TS-570 could just do the work themselves. And that's what I had done on mine. And it's a very simple thing to fix, but it's one of those things where because it's an open piece of hardware and because you can make that change, it's a lot better than a piece of proprietary hardware where you'd have to send it back to the manufacturer, they'd have to deal with it, blah, blah, blah. You couldn't make the changes, so on and so forth. So for that reason, you can see why open hardware is a good idea and open software is a good idea because it follows the same logic. And for the same reasons, it's a much better thing to have. Exactly. And the thing, the people you hear screaming the loudest are the ones that want to use these giant monolithic programs. They're like huge and they do everything and that kind of stuff. I don't want to use more than, more than one program while I'm, uh, running radio. Uh, well, let me tell you, it's a matter of preference. And I'll tell you right now, as far as alternate operating systems, anytime y'all ever hear me complaining about an Apple, I'm complaining about the old operating system. Thanks to uh, my buddy Gene, you know, where to, over there at Paracast, I've, I've had a whole different perspective on Apples for a long time. All right, so uh, we pretty much wore that one out. And uh, y'all just uh, let me know. Y- y- y'all let me know how y'all feel about moving happy hour back one hour. All right, next, uh, let's see, what we got next? We got a donation. Hello, everybody, we got a donation. We got a donation from... We we'll call him Charles. We got we got a call we got a donation from Charles for the uh, Daytonham Invention Fund, and uh, we'd like to thank you, Charles. You know who you are. I hope it's warm out there. And our next piece of feedback comes from K One RBI. K One RBI. I'm not sure why it looks like some type of military code, but. We'll go ahead and take a look at it anyway. And uh, K1RBY writes, I have recently discovered your podcast and am in the process of catching up. I noticed a couple of days ago that there were no new episodes. I went to the uh, website and there were, in fact, two new ones, episode 50 and episode 51. I started investigating and discovered that your channel info reports the reports a last build date of Friday, 6 May 2011. That's interesting. This causes G Potter to think that there are no new episodes available. Has this been reported? Thanks. 73 uh, K1RBY. So, uh, Russ, were you able to take a look at that or were you aware of it or, uh, what? Yes, I was aware of it. We did talk about this one in the last episode and I didn't have an answer for K1RBY. However, as of this episode, I do have an answer. There is a post on the website that explains the problem we were having with the feed architecture and the fact that the last build date was showing March 6th. Uh, I'm sorry, May 6th of 2011. The problem I was initially having with this is that I thought the build date was showing May 6th of 2010, 
which um, I, you know, that was making it hard to diagnose because I was under a false conception when I was looking for the answer. It turns out that there was a bug, or is a bug, in one of the WordPress plugins that I use for the website. Now, that plugin has a built-in workaround for how you can make it disassociate the date of a post from the date of an event. Now, the reason it showed May 6th of 2011 is because I had put in an event for MagnaCon, which happens to be May 6th, 2011. And what that was doing was it was creating a post that was published on May 6th, 2011, which was making the RSS feed show that the last time it was built was May 6th, 2011 which meant that any uh, episodes or anything else that would come out in a feed that came out dated before May 6, 2011, didn't show up in the feed, because the feed was dated way, way into the future. So I talked to the plugin's author. He told me how to correct that problem. I reset the dates on all those event posts to something in the past, and then I checked the last build date in the RSS feeds, and guess what? They're showing up correctly now. And I've heard from several other people that now GPotter is responding properly to the RSS feed, and the latest episodes are showing up. So my understanding is that that problem has been taken care of. So uh, hopefully that your GPotter, the next time you go to sync it up, has all the current episodes in it. it certainly should. But uh, thanks for reporting the problem, both uh, K1RBY and everyone else who told me about it. Uh, it should be taken care of now. Well, there you go. And, you know, Richard's, Richard's filing system is very bad. So uh, at least we got an answer going on with that. And uh, Russ knows what's happening with it. Y'all sleep well at night knowing that the tech is on the job. The tech is on the job. Here, let me read this one while we're talking about that because it's about the same thing. Okie dokie. Uh, this one's from our friend uh, John, K7JM, who sends us feedback every so often. And he says, What a pleasant surprise when I looked at my downloads today and found your missing episodes. I knew there was some sort of problem with G-Potter, and I've been downloading your episodes manually. It's good to have them coming automatically again. I won't be late listening to the next episode. Keep up the great work, John, K7JM. So there's uh, a bit of confirmation that I did, in fact, fix the problem. Once again, should be taken care of if you use GPotter, or if you don't and want to, don't be afraid to use it because everything should be cool. No, if things not cool, you can still only do one iPod at a time with the damn thing. And we're going to have to get them on here and grill them. All right, so you don't have to use GPotter, but people who do, it's a, you know, it's all cool. We're going to have to treat them like a hostile witness. Get them on here and grill them. Cross-examination? Double cross-examination. All right. Well, you, you get the guys from G-Potter over here, and we'll talk to them. Set their butts on fire. Anyway, all right. So we got that taken care of. Um, I know that Russ and I are both a little tired, so y'all run down the hall and get a drink, and we'll be right back.
Okay, and we are back. I hope we got, you got something cool and refreshing that uh, you enjoyed the music that Russ played for you. Russ picks out some really good music. And y'all need to, like, pay attention to it. Go frequent these artists' sites. Drop them a donation because I know this is all uh, donation-type music. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't be able to use it. So let us move on to the next piece of feedback. Uh, this one's from KJ4VGV. KJ4VGV. And uh, is also posted on the About Us page on the website to from Richard. It says, I am a new amateur radio operator since May. I am a freelance writer, and this month, December, I had an article published on association and condominium antenna restrictions. You can read it at... And, uh, I'll give Bill the URL. Hang on. I'll get to it in a minute. Uh, I would like feedback and help on additional articles. Uh, signed KJ four VGV 73. righty. Well, Richard. Yeah. Richard. I went and read your article. I like it. I'm not, I'm an aspiring or think I'm a writer anyway. And. I really liked your article. As far as input, you can contact me anytime. I would be more than willing to help you on amateur-related articles and stuff like that. Um, I don't know how Russ feels, but he could probably help you on Linux-related articles better than I could. But you you give us a yell, and yes, y'all go over and check this out. I'm going to try and do this URL, but I'm going to butcher it. It's HTTP colon stroke stroke FLCAG 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 dot com stroke content dot CFM question mark article ID in uppercase equals 695. Now y'all can see why I'm saying I'm going to get it to Bill so he can put it in the show notes because, uh, Y'all probably ain't going to be able to find it. Go over to the website, lhspodcast.info, and check out the show notes. And uh, I'm sure Bill will get those in there for you. So, Russ, what do you, you think about that one? You know, I saw that feedback, and I don't know where it went because I don't seem to have it right now. And I didn't get a chance to go over and read that article. But what I was going to do is ask Richard if he wouldn't mind if we posted it on our site. We do have uh, an articles section on our website there is a, a tab up at the top for uh, articles and if anybody is interested in uh, providing some uh, screencasts or written articles or or videos or anything like that uh, related to Linux or amateur radio uh, maybe something you've uh, already done for another publication or whatever or just have some need to blog or write something down uh, we would love your submissions Go ahead and send them our way. Send them to info at lhspodcast.info and tell us what they are and that you'd like them submitted to our articles page, and we'll do that for you. We'd like, we'd love to have the uh, content, and uh, we'll let everybody know about it on the podcast. And there you have it. I've written a few articles in my time. Uh, I haven't really had them pl- published anywhere that I didn't have control of, uh, either a ham club newsletter or on, on a website, but I've written a few things. I think Russ has too. I've written a few things. They they've never wound up any place important. 
Well, that's what I'm saying. Uh, website or something. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I even have a blog that I haven't written in in like a year and a half. Yeah, that's the one where y'all go over and check that Blue Cow's blog out because it's got like a picture of Russ standing there looking into the distance with the hair, with the wind blowing through his hair. And look, it's like him. It's like that statue of Zephram Cochran. He's looking to the future. Hey, I like that picture. Do you know where I was when that was taken? Someplace windy. <laughs> yes, it was someplace windy. It was at the top of Pike's Peak. Well, there you go. You get to worrying about pie. Never mind. That's just a whole bunch of bad jokes. It ain't going to work. It might it might make it to all, up all night, but it darn sure ain't going to make it into the cut. And you're all starting right. to click your pen again. When did you pick up that habit? Of what? Clicking your pen? Previous to episode, the really bad episode one of uh, Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast. <laughs> well, you Quick. hadn't done it over here for about 20 episodes. Now it's back. Because I've been throwing it down on the desk far enough away I couldn't pick it up. I'm still dealing with the nervous ticks and stuff that I acquired over the past year, and I'm trying to put them to bed. I've thrown it across the room. It's laying over by one of the guitars. So let's move on. This one's kind of lengthy, y'all, mainly because somehow it ended up going to Bill, and we appreciate y'all sending stuff to, to Bill K9WKA at google.com, but no, redmond.com. Anyway, unfortunately, when it ends up getting forwarded three or four times, it gets kind of long, but that's okay. We'll take it in stages if we have to. This is from James. Yes, James, N2ENN. N2ENN. And it says, Hi, Bill. The reason why Ubuntu is going to the Unity desktop is that it works better with the Wayland windowing framework than GNOME does. They are planning on replacing Xorg with Wayland in a year or so. That means that all that my all Intel laptop won't be able to use Ubuntu for maybe a year until they get around to rewriting the graphics driver. Actually, the only Ubuntu that worked 100% on this machine was 9.10. Yeah, I'll get back to that. On the uh, Debian thing, find a spare 20-gig hard drive and try Debian again. I've been running it on this notebook for a couple of months now, and except for an upstream glitch with ALSA, it's perfect. They've made the restricted drivers easier to find and install in a big eye, and all the codecs are installed in the standard desktop installation. The only problem I've had to scratch my head about has been getting the serial port pick programmer to work with a USB to serial adapter, which required manually editing the Etsy group's file. Compass startup was accomplished by putting the icon on the taskbar and using Emerald required required adding a startup entry in the GNOME startup manager. Luckily, even old Emerald packages will still work. Since this is a widescreen notebook, having taskbars at the top and bottom of the screen is idiotic. Well, I'm an idiot. So I've killed the bottom bar and moved the top bar over to the left. Oh, it looks like Unity. Side, uh, stretch the, 
stretch it to 30 pixels wide. So it looks like Unity. 30 pixels wide. At this point, I have K7 SFN's antenna tuner schematic as my desktop wallpaper, but I'll probably replace it sometime with a NASA picture. Actually, the default Debian wallpaper is kind of cute. It gets better. That's one of the things I found was better. With a little rocket ship making the Debian spiral against the background of oversized snowflakes. I have to say that that I found that that desktop was the dumbest thing I'd ever seen, and it was the first thing I removed when I installed the new Debian. Yeah, I don't think I've seen that particular. Anyway, as we progress, uh, when Bill uh, N2CQR over at Solder Smoke moved from where he was stationed in Italy to Virginia, he tried to set up his whisper station. Problem was, none of his Windows boxes were working. So held his breath and tried wine on his Ubuntuized roadkill Toshiba Tecra. Worked perfectly. One interesting outcome is that his podcast audio is much better from the Tecra. We keep trying to tell y'all. From the Tecra than from the Windows machines. Linux rules. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Killer Kwanzaa. Jim. Into ENN. Now, this one, since it got forwarded, uh, there was a response from the keeper of all knowledge to this gentleman. The keeper of all knowledge, Bill, KA9WKA. And Bill wrote, Hi, Jim. Thanks for the feedback. You're absolutely correct, of course, about Waylon being the driving force to unity. I had completely forgotten about the move away from XORG. Thanks, too, for the comments about Debian and Bill, what the hell ever his name is, success with Ubuntu. I'm copying Russ and Richard on this reply, so look for a response from them in an upcoming episode. Happy holidays to you, too. 7-3, Bill. Oh, and thanks for being my first email from a listener. It made my day. Yes, I'm easily amused. Well, number one, I can guarantee you that Bill's easily amused. Number two, yes, send Bill some email. He's lonely. Okay. Number three, Russ can probably speak better to this than I can because I have no idea what the guy was talking about. So moving from Xorg to Wayland, what's that all about, Russ? Wayland is a new desktop manager, window manager, whatever you want to call it, that is one day going to be a replacement or a competitor to X, X11. And right now, as I understand it, it's a product kind of like GNU Herd. It exists, but it doesn't really do anything yet. So for Debian to be putting their eggs in that basket, I'm sorry, for Ubuntu to be putting their eggs in that basket is very interesting to me. They are definitely going in ways that don't seem to be particularly business savvy or particularly sane for that matter, as as far as I can see. Um, I know we talked about Unity and Gnome Shell a couple episodes ago and pretty much said they're both not ready for ready for prime time and that unity on a desktop other than 
something like a netbook or a touchscreen device is going to be pretty useless. Um, I since listened to Mintcast and a couple other episodes of uh, various podcasts who said exactly the same thing as I did. So I'm not sure what Shuttleworth and Ubuntu and Canonical are doing these days, but they're going down a very bizarre road of uh, technologies that either don't exist, don't work, or whatever, just to try and be different in some way. You know, Wayland may be the next best thing to splice bread when it comes out, but that could be in 2014 for all we know. And I know that uh, Canonical has slated Wayland to be the desktop manager for, um, if not the next release, the one after. So I don't know what's going on there, but I'll tell you what I'm doing about it. I am systematically purging all of my machines of Ubuntu, and within the next month I will have Debian or Linux Mint Debian on every computer that I own. So Ubuntu is going away for me. Uh, that's about all I had to say about Wayland, Unity, and Gnome Shell, because I'm kind of tired of the whole mess. Well, there you go. And, uh, yeah, they seem to have lost their minds. Apparently, uh, Shuttleworth thinks because, uh, Ubuntu is, I guess, probably the most popular, real close to being the most popular, uh, desktop, uh, Linux, uh, distro at this time that, uh, they can go and do whatever they want to. They're starting to get a little of that Redmond fever. Uh, as far as the last, uh, good working Ubuntu that was mentioned here, uh, 910. Um, uh, yeah, I, I understand that. I've got a, one of these old cheap Samsung cell phones that I can plug in on or could plug in on Debian 910 and it identifies it, uh, looks at it as a storage device and all this good stuff, which is what I needed to do because I just moved files on and off of it. And in 1004 and 1010, both. There is no support for that, and there's a lot of stuff that's not working right, a lot of stuff that has changed. You know, I've been sticking with Ubuntu because uh, the interface looks so much better than some of the others, but uh, uh, eye candy. Uh, but recently, I well, well, that's part of the next one. So as far as on the uh, Debian thing, uh, moving over to Debian, I have recently uh, installed Debian back on uh one of, back on one of my machines and have been working with it. And there is stuff that, uh, well, I've been telling everybody I'm spoiled as far as, uh, easily finding drivers and having to write stuff in there and that kind of stuff. Debian is still beating two rocks together because it being very difficult to get this thing where I want it. Now, I'm sure Russ is probably of a different opinion. But, and it's probably just because I've become spoilt over time. But, um, as far as the Debian backgrounds, I've always been a fan of those. They've always looked kind of cool, but, uh, that's okay. Sometimes it works. Uh, so moving Debian over, uh, a breeze or not a breeze, Russ? Moving Debian over. Or moving over to Debian. I went dyslexic. <laughs> uh, for me or for the average person? Well, I mean, it's kind of like in my situation. Uh, I like Firefox, and a browser is not Firefox. Neither is Ice Weasel. Uh, they're about six or seven sub 
subversions off the uh, flash player. It loads, I think, Ganache instead of flash, which means something as simple as the flash player on our website. I get a big gray bar with an arrow in the middle of it, and when I click on it, it don't do nothing. And as far as find the, finding the drivers and stuff that I need to do stuff, like videos and uh, the video and that kind of stuff, not easy to hunt down. So as far as somebody, say, going from Mint or going from Ubuntu back to Debian, I mean, there are going to be challenges. Am I not correct in that? Well, not necessarily. If you have an Ubuntu install wherein you have your private data on its own partition, like slash home is divided away from the rest of the system, installing Debian or Linux Mint Debian in particular will be very easy. That's what I did. I basically just left everything on my home partition the way it was and installed Linux Mint Debian right over the top of my Ubuntu install. Um, erasing the uh, root partition in the process, reformatting it, in other words, uh, and then just leaving all of my configuration data and my personal stuff in slash home untouched. And when the system came up, it just worked perfectly, and all I had to do was add back in the applications that got lost when I did the reinstall. But because I had all of my configuration data stored in my dot files in my home directory, Everything just comes back up the way it used to be once you uh, reinstall the applications. Now, uh, in response to your question about Ice Weasel versus Firefox, Linux Mint Debian 10 installs Firefox and Thunderbird, not Ice Weasel and Ice Dove. They don't have the issues that Debian has uh, with the proprietary icons. I have a vanilla install of Mozilla Firefox here from uh, Linux Mint Debian 10. And here are the plugins that it comes with by default. This is a default install. It comes with the DivX Codex, QuickTime, RealPlayer, Windows Media, MPlayer, iTunes, Java, and that's actual Sun Java, not the other crap. Shockwave Flash, and that's the real Flash, not Ganache or any of the other stuff. Oh, the other one I meant was like uh, Ice-T. It isn't Ice-T for Java um, or GCJ or any of that stuff. Windows Media Player 10, VLC, DivX Web Player, and I added um, Adobe Reader 9.4. That's the only one I added afterwards. But all the other ones came on there by default. So uh, for those people who are looking for a browser to just work once they install an operating system, uh, Linux Mint 10 definitely seems like the way to go. Well, there you go. And there, those that are caught up on episodes and, and have been listening, y'all know I have been the one girl at that all-male party they call Linux Mint. So I was trying to go back to actual Debian. And it is still very challenging to get what you need set up in there. Uh, As far as you guys are concerned, I would suggest going the Mint direction. Uh, I had some uh, issues here, which uh, there's software that I have to run concurrently and was not able to do it without my computer locking up. 
And for me to say my computer locks up on Linux, I haven't had computers lock up on Linux until uh, I went that direction. However, uh, the new Debian one, I may give it a shot as far as the Debian Linux Mint because one of the reasons I put this other machine on De- on actual Debian is so that I could run distros in VirtualBox to check them out. Well, like the way that... Um Originally, Linux Mint was being called Ubuntu done right. Uh, Linux Mint Debian is not necessarily Debian done right, but it's Debian made easy for sure. For that reason, I would highly recommend using Linux Mint Debian. And make sure you use the Debian version, not the one uh, based on Ubuntu, because Linux Mint Ubuntu going forward is going to have the same problems more than likely that Ubuntu does. So I definitely recommend Linux Mint Debian, not Linux Mint Ubuntu. All right. So uh, we pretty much beat that that particular paragraph to death, except for the pick programmer. Now, as far as pick programmer, we're going to have to start checking into that. We're getting some questions about that. I actually know very little about it. I do know a few people that that have been experimenting with that. Uh, I believe one of them's running Slackware. I'll have to ask him about that anyway uh so as we get down to the end of this when bill into cqr from solder smoke podcast hello bill we know you listen or at least you know somebody that listens because at some point you did mention us over there and we appreciate your support and i'm glad you made it back to virginia okay unfortunately i haven't had a chance to sit down and listen to your shows uh, in a little while, but I'm going to get caught up on that. Um, he came back, he got set up, his windows boxes weren't working. He decided to, uh, run whisper under wine on an Ubuntu Toshiba and it worked perfectly for him. I had some issues with it as far as rig control, but he may not have been you having to deal with the rig control. And his audio sounds better. That's let me tell you something. That's one of the reasons that uh, I ended up sticking with Debian-based distributions in the first place is because the audio sounded so much better than when I recorded uh, episodes for the other show on those Windows boxes I used to have. But I really think Bill ought to. He seems like a pretty smart guy, as we say down here in Texas. He sounds like a smir- uh, a, a me nice beast. Sounds like a schmirt guy. I've had a stroke. <laughs> uh, he said, he, he said, from what I've heard, he sounds like a pretty smart guy. Seems to me he could get Whisper running under Linux and, uh, it'd probably work a whole lot better for him, but that's okay too. And, uh, so what do you think about that paragraph, Russ? Well, like I said, I, I gave some information a couple episodes back. It's in the show notes about running Whisper natively in Linux. And it works great for me when you do it the way I suggest. If you actually try and do a dpackage install, not so much. And as far as the audio quality, to me, it's all good when you're running Linux. I mean, I have fairly good audio quality on the podcast. You know, I like the way I sound, more or less, since I can't really, you know, I'm not a particular fan of my voice, but, I, you know, you know, it comes out all right, sounds good, so I can't complain too much. And uh, all I can say is I'm glad that his audio sounds better in Linux because it just confirms what we all know, that Linux is better. 
And there you have it. And you know, there were a lot of people raising all kinds of cane when, uh, Ubuntu moved to, uh, Pulse Audio. And there were some issues and that kind of stuff. But I'll tell you, it's come a long way. That's what, uh, that's what I record with over here. I guess it doesn't make a whole lot of difference. But, uh, you know, um, I blame Russ for me sounding as good as I do on the podcast. That's all his fault. Well, that's okay. I'll take that blame. <laughs> Let me clarify a couple more things. If you do a Google search for Linux pick programmers, you're going to find a bazillion results. So which ones are good? I don't know, but there are plenty of them out there. And the other thing is you just brought up Pulse Audio. That's an interesting dilemma if you're going to be looking at either Debian or Linux Mint Debian, because Debian still ships with ALSA. Linux Mint Debian ships with Pulse Audio. So that may be one thing that you want to consider when you pick a distribution. Yeah, I think my Debian installs got ALSA, which is fine. I never had a problem with it. In fact, I really couldn't tell much of a difference when they switched them. Yeah, well, I I hate all Linux audio. The problem is I've just started getting to the point where I'm used to Pulse Audio enough that I've forgotten some of the stuff I need to know about ALSA. And, Uh, you know, it's now it's getting aggravating either way I go. Now, see, I was talking earlier before we got started that I got so much crap floating around in my head that every time I put something in, something falls out, and Russ laughed at me, but he has the same problem, too. (laughs) I do. I just have to find a different repository for the junk I need to know. Mo crap, mo crap. That's right. You you start writing it down like I do. Yeah, (laughs) then I forget where I wrote it. All right. So that was a pretty lengthy one. We got on through it. It, I bet y'all are probably ready for another break. I know I am. I know that Russ probably needs to refill his antifreeze. So y'all head on down the hall and we'll be right back.
Okay, and another fine piece of music from the boys over where you where are we getting all that stuff, Jamendo or or Magnatune or where are we getting that stuff at, Russ? Um, lately, it's all been Jamendo because Jamendo focuses on Creative Commons music, whereas some of the other stuff is just pod safe. Yeah, just oh, sorry. No, I just headed over, you know, trying to do the Creative Commons thing more, more and more. Yeah, just be careful what y'all click on over there because uh, I had some music that it was on a podcast that I listened to a few years ago, and they quit using it in favor of. Uh, uh, paying somebody to write them some music and I was going to go, uh, see if I could snag it. And oh my God, there's a few things over there that you have to license if you're going to use it. And oh my God, they wanted a hundred dollars for a year. Come on. I'm only going to use it probably 12 times. <laughs> Even though it's kind of cool music and it'd give a new flavor to the other show. Anyway, let's get back into feedback. Pick microcontrollers are getting more popular. And I know it starts weird, but that's the way it starts. Pick microcontrollers are getting more popular in ham projects. Any suggestions on programming software and boards? Question mark. The uh, boards I've been seeing are RS-232, and they don't like USB RS-232 adapter interfaces. Merry Christmas, all 12 days of it, Paul, KE5WMA. Well, Paul, you know, your call sign sounds really familiar, but that, that's okay. We're going to move on. Pick programmers. I think we said something about them a while ago. You can still use our, you can still use serial ports in Linux. Linux does still support serial ports. Getting the cables might be a little harder, <laughs> even though you can still get them at Amazon.com because I've had to get some recently. But as far as that's concerned, this is a good show idea. This is the second one that we've discussed tonight on this show that mentioned pick microcontrollers. And I will check into that. Come to think of it, earlier I was talking about a guy that's running Zastar on a OS ten machine. I think he's the same guy that's been playing with the uh, the Pick microcontrollers. So uh, I'll see what I can find out about that, and we will get that on the list for a future show. So what do you think about that one, Russ? Sounds like a winner to me. Don't really have much else to say about Pick controllers because we don't really know anything about them but it definitely sounds like a good show uh once we do know something about them so we don't sound like complete idiots we kind of already talked about this before but if you do a search for linux and pick controllers you get about 10 billion results and uh surely that will help you in some way and there you go and they're really good for getting stuff out of your teeth so uh, we will get that on the list and get on to it. Now, the very last feedback I have on my end, and I know Russ has still got some that I didn't get because I only get about three-quarters of a percent of the emails and feedbacks and stuff that come in. But uh, this is a reasonably lengthy one, but we'll get on through it quick as we can. It uh, It's from BB, B period, B period, as I've been calling him in the, in the chat room all night long. KC5PIY, because he's here with us tonight, so he gets to hear the the answer live without all the crap cut out. It says, Richard and gang, 
not necessarily for the podcast, so I'll trust your judgment. Okay, let's throw that one out. Now we'll go we'll go ahead and read it. Uh there's nothing incriminating in here. At least I don't remember anything incriminating. Judgment to mention or not. Or more likely paraphrase. I'm a, I'm up to episode twenty with LA with LHS, much better along with resonant frequency. I hope to be completely current on both podcasts within a month. That said, I hope I'm not asking some, something which will be, has been adre- addressed, but I'm not yet aware of. My dilemma is I've got need for accessing Windows applications to program my radios. Have an HP Mini 1030 with a 16 gigabyte solid state storage net, netbook and two radios all mounted in my truck. Holy cow. You want to trade? Uh, radios are ICOM 2820H and a 706 Mark IIG. I program the 2820 via Windows programming software. I also have a KPC3 Plus in the mix connected to the 2820. I've had no success getting an any APRS client software up and running, and I desperately need assistance reading Online, reading online doesn't help, although that's the common response when others are approached. I simply don't assimilate the massive amount of information, most likely because I'm missing some of the very basic stuff. Without the basics, the not understanding or knowing the advanced stuff is an issue. Everyone says to read the such and such file, download it, and then do this or that. It all goes by too fast to capture. Beyond that, even if I did understand it, having that knowledge with no practical experience with how the uh, software is designed, configured, I simply can't get there from here. Oh, I'm feeling your pain right now, and I'll talk about that in a minute. For example, I'm finding many users of APRS client software run UIView. The Windows software I've I've loaded doesn't work any better. Matter of fact, all the hardware works just fine, but I can't get the client software running under Windows. I've tried Zastar and UIView, and they either work with the issues or simply don't load up after installation. Is it possible to install Linux? Then use it to program the software via the Windows connection. I would hope there is a way I could use something like this in the future. It could be a reoccurring test case. Anyway, just some thoughts. Lately, lastly, recommendations on converting my netbook to Mint. Question mark. So that Russ puts a little question mark on it. Uh, I'd have to be con- contented that I could run through the Windows software in par- run through the Windows software in parallel with the Unix Linux installation. So, I have needs and desires. Best recommendations on how to pick your brain on the topic. Take care and 73. B period, B period. KC5 PIY. Let's start up at the top. You got a lot of stuff in that damn truck. Now, let's go to paragraph two. 2820, that's D-Star Radio, I believe. You got a HP Mini 
1030 with a 16 gig solid state drive netbook. Okay. The APRS software, if you're going to run Windows, UIView is probably the best you're going to get. If you're going to run uh, Linux, don't run UIView in Wine. Use Aster. Now, the problem with APRS is, as far on the software end, is that very few people, it's gotten where fewer and fewer people actually hook it up to a computer anymore. Because if you do want to look at what's going on, you can go over to, what is it, APRS SIG or APRS, the APRS website, and see a map for your area. There's a way to get a Google map and all that other stuff. And the software has not kept up. APRS was going to be one of the greatest things that ever happened. I just clicked that damn pin again. APRS was going to be the greatest, one of the greatest things that ever happened. Everybody wants to put it on their car because a lot of people are too cheap to purchase LoJack or OnStar. Now, I'm not talking about the emergency communications guys. I'm talking about those guys that think it would be neat. If you're going to run APRS under Windows, UIView is one of the better ones. If you're going to run it under Linux, you need to try and use Zastar. Uh, that'll give you access to uh, loading up open street maps, other stuff you won't have to pay. As far as hooking up the uh, hooking up a GPS receiver to it, I haven't attempted that because I am not an APRS guy. Uh, if you've listened to many of the episodes, uh, you'll know that I just don't have a lot of use for APRS, mainly because it, unless you've got a closed net and a public service event going on. It's uh, really a pain. Okay, so we talked about APRS, and now I'm going to turn Russ loose on you about this uh, converting over and running Windows stuff and everything else under Linux. Well, we're actually kind of conversing about this in the chat room. He's talking about this netbook that he's got and uh, how that it only has a 16-gigabyte solid-state drive in it. Now, that's more than enough space to run a Linux distribution like Mint Debian or, or any Linux distribution, really. But if you want to run Windows concurrently with it, a dual boot is almost out of the question because you're just not going to have any space left over. So what I'm recommending for him is to install Linux Mint Debian on this uh, as a single boot and then the applications he needs to run in Windows use Wine for that. Um, I believe the applications he's talking about will run without trouble in Wine. Uh, they may or may not, and it may be a case of trial and error when it comes to that, see which works and which doesn't. But with only 16 gigs of storage, running a dual boot is almost out of the question, not because of Linux, but because of Windows. That's really the only recommendation I can think of for that particular piece of hardware. So I can't imagine that it won't work. It's just a piece of um, ICOM proprietary programming software for the 2820 that he has. And most of those small independent applications that are single-purposed tend to work really well in Wine because they don't use anything special uh, as far as Windows libraries or Windows APIs or anything like that. So uh, that's probably a good way to go. So uh, KC5PIY, I hope that will work for you. 
Uh, and uh, if it does, let us know. And if it doesn't, let us know. And we can certainly investigate a little further. Well, I did skip over a couple things, and I'm glad. And I'm glad y'all are discussing that. Yes, the uh, ICOM 2828 being a D-Star radio. Problem is with the D-Star software, I have never been able to get it to run on a Linux box. This is the program that you program at D-Star Radio with software. I have never been able to get it to run on a Linux machine. That's uh, one of the reasons I keep that old sad copy of Vista on one of the laptops is so I can program radios with it. However, there is a piece of software out there that I have not had an opportunity to work with yet for for programming radios and, in particular, D-Star radios that is written in Python for Linux, and I can't remember the name of it right off the top of my head, but it's written by the same guy that writes D-Rats. The digital terminal program, D dash rats, R A T S. Guy's name's Dan, and his other website is dansplanet.org, I think. But he has a piece, has some software over there that he was putting together for programming the D Star radios under Linux. And uh, you may want to go over and check that out. As far as K- KPC 3 is concerned, uh, well, just like any other TNC, you can run that bad boy in command mode from any dumb terminal. If there's some sort of special commands that you need to be able to send to the thing or you're going to be using it for running um, APRS, that can be done too with Zaster. Uh, I set up a test copy of Zaster here. We did a, did a show where we talked about it a little bit uh, over here, and I set up a test copy. I... Do not have any of the Cantronics controllers, the KPCs, but what I was using in that case was a advanced electronics, whatever. Uh, they've got different company owns them now, but it's a PK-230, no, yes, a PK-232 all-mode controller, and I was using that. I put it in host mode, fired up Zaster. It ran just like it was supposed to. I could hear everything I could transmit. I had guys that I don't even like over here in Mesquite, trying to contact me on APRS. So I do know that the KPC shouldn't be that much more difficult. Now, as far as AirMail and WinLink is concerned, there is a program out there for WinLink, which uh, it's not ready for prime time. There is one out there they're working on. There's, Dan is also working on uh, incorporating some WinLink type capability into is DRAT software. As far as HF WinLink, using something like AirMail or something like that, as far as I know, there's a piece of software, maybe a piece of software out there under development. I'm not aware of it at the moment, but I will be checking into it because the local section traffic manager wants me to check into trying to get that going so that some of his people can do that. I would like to be able to move traffic via D-Star because it makes a whole lot more sense than some of the other ways. Uh, we've got guys st- here still using uh, the mailboxes in their controllers to move uh, messages around, and it gets quite slow and cumbersome that way. So, uh, yes, and something I said earlier that all my listeners should know by now is, yes, there are people that don't like me because I will tell them to kiss my badger. So, 
With that, I think we've run to the complete end of this particular message. Russ, do you have anything to add before we move on? Well, I did want to add one other thing, and that's if you want to try running a distribution on that that netbook that you're talking about, you could always try the Wubi installer for Ubuntu. That would, A, mean you'd be running Ubuntu, but it would, B, mean that you could do it without interrupting your Windows install. Now, I don't know if that would meet your needs or not, but it's another way to do it when you don't have a lot of storage space. Wubi, Wubi. Yeah, another way to do it is if that thing has a USB drive, you could always install Linux Mint Debian using Pendrive Linux or another uh, USB stick installer program and just boot Debian off your uh, thumb drive and then use the internal controller for additional storage or something like that. So there are some options. Whoopie whoopie, and we're losing people in the chat room because we run too long. All y'all have a good night. Anyway, uh, yes, that's something I forgot completely about. Go buy a damn thumb drive and make sure it's a good quality one or it won't work and run the Linux off of the thumb drive. I forgot all about that. Yeah, you want at least a class six or a class eight thumb drive. Otherwise, it's going to be so slow. And in some future episode, Russ will tell us how to tell the difference. <laughs> yeah, that's going to have to be next episode because I want to get about two more of these done and then we're still going to have some left over, but we've just gone way too long. Yeah, because I got this thing is like in front of me is a two gig Kingston data traveler and I don't see no class, nothing, nowhere on it. Yeah, it has to do with the transfer speed and usually you have to get it from the package or from the manufacturer. That sucks. Yep. All right, so my plate is clean. Now, what else you got, Russ? All right, we've got a couple more older ones that I want to get rid of, and then, like I said, we're still backlogged a little bit, but we'll clean those up in the next episode just as a segment, not as a whole episode. The first one I've got is from Craig KB5UEJ, and this one goes, Hey, you don't have to read this on the program. Just finished listening to episode 50. Was surprised to hear my call, not once, but twice. Your audio is fantastic now. Maybe someday I'll remember to tune into the live show and jump in the chat room. Well, I definitely think you should do that. On a different note, this week I also listened to your HPR podcast you recorded at Lisa. Sounds like a great time. I'd love to make that one someday. I went through the Hurricane Electric Certification Program. Um, and he gives a link here to it, which is ipv6.he, that's Hotel Echo dot net slash certification and really learned lots about ipv6 i'm now running ipv6 on my home using or yeah on my home using he's ipv6 tunnel broker service it's no longer the big bad scary thing that it used to be 73 craig kb5 uej uh, this really doesn't have a lot to do with Linux in the ham shack, but I would like to recommend that everybody go check out qskcast.info, which is my other podcast, wherein you can listen to episode number six and learn all there is to know about IPv6, which is coming, people, and you need to know about it. So go check that out. If you happen to listen to Hacker Public Radio, you can also catch that as episode number 599, I believe. So check it out in either place. And I just wanted to thank Craig for bringing that up and for uh, listening to all the episodes. So thanks a lot, Craig. 
and see, I'm gonna have to go listen, listen to that. And, uh, because I've been trying to, uh, uh, occasionally I attempt to set up IPv6 over here because I would like to use it, but I'm apparently not smart enough to read the MAC address off the screen and input it in the proper place to make it work. That's the only thing that I can figure. Yep. Go listen to my thing all about K- yeah, IPv6 and, uh, you'll, you'll know all about it. That's right. That's right. And y'all listen for my special guest appearance on the Angry Human podcast with David Biedney. No, I'm not, I'm not going to be on there, but uh, I wish. Uh, I was going to say, if that was a real thing, give me the URL. I wish, I wish he would let me. <laughs> I, I don't know if he's still doing that show or not. He quit doing the other show he was on that I listened to. But anyway. All right. So, uh, yeah, we're going to get all IPv6 ish. We might even talk about it here if it. Uh, it w- it's worth talking about. We should probably bring it up here. If we run slow. Yeah. Anyway, what else you got? Okay, I got one more, and that's it for this time. Then we'll just push oh the God. rest. Yep. Okay, this one is from Matt. It says, I really enjoyed your comment about these simple projects in QST. It made me laugh because it reminded me of my experience of starting out in amateur radio. I would read different ham magazines, and they would have these articles like build a 40-meter CW transceiver out of a tuna can using a few parts from your junk box. The tuna tin! That's right. I didn't have a junk box. It was so frustrating. The great thing about Linux is that it puts powerful computing in the hands of ordinary folks. The guys who can spend six grand on the latest Super Wonder Rig don't appreciate this. And that is for Matt. So I'll let you go ahead and comment on that one because I know you have thoughts. Well, you know, I'm a nuts and bolt, stick my finger in it and mess with it kind of guy. And my son's got it too. He's the only child I ever, ever known that at 10 years old could take a, a VCR completely apart, put it completely back together, have parts left over and it worked just like it was supposed to. Uh, that's the great thing. That's what I keep telling people. Linux is synonymous it should be synonymous with amateur radio because it embodies the spirit of amateur radio you know get in there if something don't work right get in there and monkey with it and make it work and you're able to do that with linux you can't do it with you can't do it with windows without spending a lot of money and then you may not be able to do it after that but yeah we owe we uh we still owe hbr an episode on on that but anyway uh, I appreciate the thoughts myself, and you just keep that positive stuff coming. All right. I don't really have it? much to add, so. Is that it? Are we done? That, that's it. We're done. Holy mackerel. That was it. That was it. I think BB like, just got fresh phone call, and he's rejuvenated. Well, I'm kind of rejuvenated, <laughs> even though I have to work tonight, but let's. Uh... Matt's back. All right. Well, let's get, let's keep my editing down to a minimum and actually ri- wrap this up. Then you can ramble all you want. He wants to wrap it up. Okay. Let's see. How would I end this? This has been Going Linux. If you would like to send input to Going Linux, please send emails to uh, Larry at GoingLinux.com. Larry at GoingLinux.com. Let's do it correctly. Okay. <laughs> I don't have anything against Larry and Tom, but I'm I'm sitting here screwing with Russ and we need to get it over with because he, he's tired playing and I understand. So with that, my name is Richard KB5JBV down here in Balt Springs, Texas, or 
as we know it today, Penguin Central. And if you want to get in contact with me, you can send me an email at kb5jbv at gmail.com. kb5jbv at gmail.com. Or follow me on your favorite social network. All you have to do is look for KB5JBV. Unless I decide to go incognito, then look for Ferd Von Stupp. Ferd Von Stupp at gmail.com. No, KB5JBV at gmail.com. Or follow me on Facebook, Twitter, whatever. And that's all lovely. So tell them how to get a hold of you, Russ. Okay, well, this is how you can get a hold of me in a rapid nutshell. K5TUX at LHSpodcast.info, J.R. Woodman at Identica and Twitter, uh, K5TUX at 73s.org, K5 on irc.freenode.net in pound or hash LHS podcast. Leave a comment on the website, LHSpodcast.info. Donate to the show. Call our hotline, 417-200-4811. Send a donation to send Linux in the ham shack to the Dayton Hamvention in May of 2011. We would love to see you there. And from the Pine Forest between the peaks, where it's a frigid four degrees right now, this is Russ, K5TUX. And I'm going to send it back to Balt Springs, where Richard is going to wrap up by saying... Uh, since we're going to leave Russ dangling and over there wrapping his nuts, this is KB5JBV, and we'll see you next time.